Welcome to The Equality Lens, the podcast dedicated to educating you on equality, diversity and inclusion. Together, we can make a difference in our society. Join host Amrez Khan along with special guests as they share their experiences, discuss their perspectives and thoughts. Please note, comments shared are the thoughts of Amrez and his guests and not that of any organisations they are employed by or associated with. Now, let's get into today's episode. Welcome listeners to The Equality Lens with me, Amrish Khan. Our episode today is with the fantastic Claire Price-Dowd. I'm so excited to have you today with us, as I call you lovingly CPD. We've worked together in the past, haven't we, Claire? We have. We both worked together at the NHS Leadership Academy. Uh, you were my absolute rock, uh, trying to get the message about nursing and leadership out into the wider world. You helped me write blogs and uh, and, and different parts of journals. You're absolutely fantastic and could always turn my ramblings into amazing text. You're brilliant. Oh, you're too lovely. I have to pay you £10 when I see you <laughs> later on. <laughs> so, you know, I, I guess for our listeners, can you just tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, of course, Amrace. Uh, so it's it's great to be here this week because it's 39 years on Monday this week since I joined the NHS. Yes, I really am that old. <laughs> um, I started my career as, uh, as, as a nurse. I trained at Nottingham. But I was one of those people who really didn't know what they wanted to do with their life. And I left school 18 and uh, I worked in a shop. I had no direction. I just knew I didn't want to go to university at that point. I've discovered later in life that I have dyslexia. Uh, and uh, and that kind of clouded my, my my sort of view of education. Just didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. And somebody said to me, do you know what? You'd make a great nurse. Uh, and it really started from there. So I, I trained as a nurse and uh, and, and I've worked in, in various places. Um, I, I didn't like the constraints of hospitals. So I, I spent a lot of time working out on the district. And from there, went into education. I actually d- discovered that do you know what? Learn, learning's quite quite good if you do it um, do it with interesting and, and really stimulating people. So I finally went and, and uh, did some further education. Um, I did a degree. And that was okay. Yeah, stayed on. Did another degree. Did another degree. And finally ended up doing a doing a doctorate. I think it's just to prove to myself that I wasn't the thick, stupid person that that school had told me I was. Um, and that's something I've I've found with lots and lots of other people who have discovered that they have a, a learning difference um, and mild dyslexia very late. In life you know they were often marginalized at school or seen as, as the one who was a bit dim and that was definitely my uh, my experience only to find that do you know what I, I think my learning differences are one of those superpowers it makes me um, just question things differently and, and creative and I've worked in the, say, the NHS for 39 years lots of different places lots of different organizations and public service has always been a big thing for me I can't imagine ever doing anything apart from public service so um, yeah always curious and and moved around a lot of different organizations but that's what nursing allows you to do Um, there's there's always something new to learn and a new challenge to be to be undertaken do you know what I love what you've just said there Claire about the importance of learning experiences and you are can I just say to our listeners today you are not thick and you are by far (laughs) means not stupid at all 
Claire does some amazing work and I love the fact that you know, whenever I talk to you, whenever I've been around you in your company, I always see that passion come out about nursing. It's lovely to see Claire. Thank you. So nursing itself, I mean, what were your career highlights as, as a nurse? What do you look back and go, oh my God, that was an amazing thing for me. It's strange because I don't think I've had a typical nursing career by any um, any stretch of the imagination. The highlights, um, I enjoyed being a student. To, to be honest, I enjoyed that really practical, hands-on, being part of a team. But I did find working in a hospital with, you know, the shifts and the, and the constraints sometimes a little bit, a little bit too constraining. So I went out very quickly onto the onto the districts and started working in public health. So I trained as a health visitor. I was the second youngest person ever to qualify as a health visitor at that time. Um, and that public health focus that. You know we're fantastic at at um, you know, making people well once they're once they're they're poorly if we can. But wouldn't it be great if we could stop people being ill in the first place? That would mm. be amazing. So I, w- I went into public health and and spent a lot of my time trying to do that health promotion and and stopping people becoming becoming ill in the first place. And I think some of the real highlights of of my career. It's it's I, I find it quite difficult sometimes talking about myself and the things I've I've done well. Um, but back in 1999, I came second in Nurse of the Year. Uh, and that was purely because I'd, I'd seen a need in, I worked in a very rural area. And uh, you know, the, the elderly population were often really isolated and really lonely. And you know, they had all these unmet health needs that were related to mental health. So I just got out and, and worked with the general practice and, and worked with the practice nurses and the GPs. And we, we set up a way to make sure that nobody was was missed that was on the practice. So the so people that came to the GP often, yeah, but what about those people who didn't come to the GP often? Um, often you know, had a health need that, that nobody was, was looking into. So that to me was a real highlight. It continued long after, long after I'd left. I've always been somebody who wanted to make a bigger and bigger difference. So I think my absolute career highlight, and I can name it to the day, it was the 5th of June, 2015, which is when we launched the the, um, the second version of the NHS Leadership Edward Jenner programme, which is a, a you know it's a MOOC, it's an open on on open online uh, programme, um, a mass programme that's there that absolutely anybody in health and social care anywhere in the world can access and do great leadership development. Uh, and again, that legacy has has gone on. And the, the latest version of the Edward Jenner programme launched on Monday this week. So kind of serendipitous that it launched on the 39th anniversary of my joining the NHS. But I always wanted something that could touch everybody, that gave them a positive experience and help them to to be better or better supported at whatever they do. I can vouch for this. I'm not just saying this because you're on the podcast, but you are just a phenomenal person. The different types of work that you've done, the Edward Jenner work that you've done is impressive in on its own, to be to, to be fair. And anyone who hasn't checked out Edward Jenner, have a look on the NHS Leadership Programme site. You can find all the details on there. It's such a fantastic programme, isn't it? And it yeah. really helps you think about leadership and the importance of leadership and how that links in with sort of the care that the staff offer service users and patients is so linked isn't it yeah it, it is and the, the the new program that's launched this week uh is is very wide reaching um mm. it's, it's podcast based so if you like <laughs> listening to Amraiser's podcast um rather than sitting in front of a computer I think the pandemic has taught us that you know we've all sat in front of lots of computers for the last 20 months you know, we, we maybe want to learn in a different way we maybe want something that we can download and looking after our health and well-being, put our headphones on 
uh, and go for a walk while we do some learning. Get out in the fresh air, even though it's winter and it's a bit cold at the moment. Mm. You know, we want to learn in a different way. And for people like me who, you know, who find sometimes you know, reading at speed quite difficult, you know, mm. great. We can we can listen to some real scenarios of of, um, of of people's lives and then think about how we would lead in those different situations. It's fantastic. It really is. So, Edward, Jenner, and can I just say, 39 years, you don't look old enough to be working in the <laughs> NHS for 39 years, Claire Price down. <laughs> how can that even? How can that be possible? I know. It's gone by. It's gone by in a mm. flash. The time that I spent with you has been fantastic too. Can we can we just check in? Are you in a clinical role at the moment then? I, I don't think you are, are you? No, I'm not in a clinical role, but I'm working very closely with mm. um, with frontline clinicians um, and not, not just nurses, clinicians from um, all parts of, of health and social care. Mm. So I'm working in the Leadership Academy. Um, I work in the Midlands region for NHS England, where my, my role is to be the head of leadership and lifelong learning for the, for the regional team. So I have uh, a team of uh, 15 highly talented uh, people that work with me. And we're a real mix of, of backgrounds and ages, but with the one common goal of really being passionate about developing our leaders to, uh, to be the best that they can. And, you know, we want to help people to understand how, how leadership works and how leadership impacts on all aspects of, of care and staff engagement. Um, all of us at some point, you know, we, we could we could go into hospital or be users of care and, and services. We want to be looked after and supported by, you know, by, by people that lead well and care. So you know, if we can help leaders to develop their skills, to, um, to develop their teams well, to, to really think about how they include team members and that they think about diversity, then I think we're, you know, that, that's what we're here to do. Absolutely. And I have to say, you know, I worked back at the Academy, ooh, was it 2016? I think I was yeah. with, with you guys. And since I've left, that leadership work that we did and that I learned about is integrated in every single grain of my body, Claire. Wherever I go, I talk about the Academy, I talk about leadership. And I think I was really naive before I didn't understand what we meant by a leader you know yeah. is a leader just a manager isn't that what it is but it's so much more as you say there's so much to it in particular and obviously these past what nearly 12 to 18 months have been so difficult with the pandemic yeah. and how we how we lead and how we support people and I guess how how has it impacted you and how do you think it's impacted nurses our frontline clinicians Ooh. I guess like a, I guess like a lot of people, um, how I've seen the pandemic uh, impact nursing and and you know the healthcare profession generally has been yeah. through the lens of the media, um, yeah. and and then talking to people on you know, on the front line and and leaders that come onto um, onto our, our our programs in the Midlands, the reality of what they they witness and what they see and what they experience. Is nothing like the version that they, that we see on on, on the media. Um, what the pandemic has done, I think, is is really bring nursing to the forefront of public consciousness. Uh, we've always known nurses are there. You know, they work in those those you know those GP surgeries and those those big buildings, and and uh, but they work in so many other places as well. And and it's really it's really sort of brought it to to the fore. Just just what a skill nursing is. Mm. Um, you know that. We always talk about nursing as being an art and a science, um, but that you know, it's just that that absolute um, that professionalism 
And, you know, the number of nurses and doctors and other parts of the, the, the health and care system who, who have lost their lives looking after others, um, I think that has been that has been a devastating thing on the profession. I think one of the, the saddest things is that the pandemic has also caused a lot of nurses, especially nurses from um, our black and minority ethnic colleagues uh, from backgrounds, uh, to really question how valued they are. I hate to say, it, but it, but is is it really worth it um, to continue in 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 these roles when when the, the sacrifice is so is so great, and we've seen so many disproportionate um, deaths and illnesses from from colleagues in in those groups. So a lot of people, I think, and it's it's nursing's loss that that people are are starting to think is this is this really a career that I want to do do I really want to continue in in the front line or do I want to do something else with those trans fantastically transferable skills that I've got I I hope that there's a way that we can reinvigorate why nurses uh, want to stay in the NHS they do some of the hardest hardest work mm. um, that that is out there in that that hands-on caring role being there when families can't be there, when when people are uh, in their last hours of, of life, bearing that emotional burn um, and then going home and getting up each day and going back and doing it again, knowing that it's going to be the same. I, I was made aware of a, um, a story very recently. We were talking about leadership and somebody challenged me and said, that's all very well if you can get the person into the building. But what about my member of staff that I had to go and talk to in the car park because she was so anxious about getting out of her car to actually come into the building to do her nursing shift? Uh, and that's the effect that it's that it's had on people. Um, I don't think we... You, people say, well, it's your job. You know, that's your job. You, you signed up to be a nurse. Go and be a nurse. Um, it's that emotional labour that I think um, people don't realise is there. And it's not one day of emotional labour. It's day after day after day of emotional labour that those um, that those those amazing nurses in all settings, primary care, secondary care, wherever they nurse, prisons, wherever they nurse, um, are doing every day. I agree with you so much on all those statements that you've just made. I mean, um, where my mum lives in Halifax, our neighbour has um, has fallen ill. She fell down in her home and nobody knew. The next day we found her, mum had a key and she's been taken into a care home. And every time I go and see her and every time, you know, I, I look at those nurses and I think, oh my God, you're doing so much incredible yeah. work taking care of these people. And yeah. one of the ladies I spoke to, one of the nurses, she was feeding my neighbour because she's had a really bad stroke. And we were talking to her and she said to me, you know, it's, it's all about, you know, compassion and care because one day I'll be that age as well. One yeah, day I'll absolutely. be needing that care. And it was just so interesting how she put herself in those shoes and she really thought about it. So a huge bravo to all the fantastic nurses, healthcare clinicians, healthcare you know, assistants, everybody out there for all the amazing work that they do. They yeah. have kept us going this past two years. And, and I think that's one of the things that we forget. You know, when we see on the media, they talk about the NHS and they talk about doctors and nurses. Mm. Mm, but there's, there's so much more to it than <laughs> that. You know, you know the, the, there's so much care done by by people who, you know, are, are some of our lowest waged people. Mm. You know, our, our, our support workers, our administrators, 
the, the people who just keep the NHS going and, and care services going and GP surgeries going, you know, they're not the, the highest paid, but they still have that level of dedication and they still turn up day in, day out because this stuff matters. And when I see people being um, abused, uh, verbally abused, I, I, I just think you, you, you just don't know what it's like. You really just don't know what it's like. One of the things that really infuriates me, Claire, what's in the media about, you know, that the, the amount of money that is paid to leaders and managers, you don't understand what they're going through. They're going through some of the most toughest times and those leaders, the decisions they're making and how they're making sure wards are run and patients are safe. Unless you're in their shoes, mm. unless you see that on a day-to-day -day basis where you see you know, there's some of these wards out there, there's, you know, they've seen maybe one or two deaths over a period of a year. Now they've seen 10, 20, 30 deaths on a ward. It is so, so difficult beyond doubt. Yeah. And I don't think we paid them enough. I don't think they get paid enough to do these jobs. And, you know, in the NHS, we've got the bans. I hate the bans, can I just say? I hate the bans too. It's just so annoying. But you have a band five nurse who's running an entire ward on their own. Yeah. You think to yourself, oh my God, we, we don't, now, some of these people do feel as I feel as though they're underpaid and they're doing some of the most important life-saving work out there. It's just beyond ludicrous sometimes the way that I think mm. about it. Yeah. I, I spoke to somebody recently um, and they worked in the private sector. They do some work on, on, on the fringe of, of healthcare. Um, they're, they're, they have a, um, a patient representative uh, role within, within the NHS, but they work for the private healthcare. Uh, sorry, for the private sector at, at quite a high level. And, and this person said to me, do you know what? I see band five nurses every day making the sort of decisions that me as a senior, high, highly paid professional in, you know, in their working life would probably make once or twice a year. Yet they, you know, they wow. have to make these decisions every, you know, every single day. But the decisions of that magnitude probably come up once or twice a year in my world. Yeah, um, just says a lot, doesn't do it? Forget. Yeah, we do forget. So in terms of obviously our fantastic staff, you know, those are crown jewel in the crown that we have in the NHS. We would not be able to function without them. I mean, I was quite interested to hear your thoughts about how do you think, you know, how does compassionate leadership impact the beautiful diversity that we have in the NHS workforce? I'm going to challenge you back a little bit. Oh, oh. Because, <laughs> because I, I don't know what you think, but I don't know whether you think the, the word compassion has just been so overused mm. that it started to become a bit of a bit of a buzzword. You know, compassion yeah. inclusive leadership, compassion inclusive leadership, all the, yes, we, we get it. I think you and I get yes, it. Yes, yes. Um, but some, and somebody challenged, again challenged me the other day to say, you know, we hear it so much, yet you don't have to scratch much below the surface to, to really not see a great deal of compassionate and inclusive leadership. <laughs> some sectors, I'm not saying mm, that here, yeah. I, I genuinely believe that, that you know, the, the absolute vast majority of people that work in, in health and care are fabulous people who, um, you know, everybody comes to, to to work to give their absolute, absolute all. But compassion has become a bit of a buzzword. Mm. So we're thinking a bit more about, you know, authentic leadership. What yeah. does it mean to be an authentic leader? I mean, you, you can say you can say the right words around, you know, compassion and inclusion, but it, you can't really fake authenticity that much. You, you can't fake being an authentic leader um, for, for very long before it starts to show. So, you know, I I, I think 
you know how, how can we how can we help people to be more authentic um is, is just something that I, i'm i'm quite interested in also but also it's this how how can we get people to bring their whole self to work yeah. you know how can we help people to be that authentic person that they are with their best bits with their flaws with their quirks with their curiosity every day and when we start making that okay then we are going to discover so much more about people we are going to learn so much more about them because we've, we've kind of made it okay to show some vulnerability we've made it okay to show some faults we've made it okay to bring your whole self to work rather than just the bits that we want to see and the bits that are going to get the job done for us and i i think that's you know that that's where we really really need to to start you know, start going there is a role for um what we, what we consider to be compassion i.e treating people with with dignity with respect with concern um treating everybody as as valued and an individual um that everybody has something to, to bring but as as leaders I think we need to show um, that we are authentic as much as we we talk about showing that we are are compassionate. And when people see us as leaders start to be vulnerable and show our flaws and admit that we're wrong, that just by default allows them to be themselves as well. And I would rather know everything um, about people that I work with in terms of their style and what what lights their what lights their fire in their belly and you know what what doesn't what what saps all the joy out of them at work uh, and I'm not going to get that if I'm not authentic myself I'm not going to get people telling me that you know I really don't like doing that but I love doing that so you can build better teams you can you can allocate work so it gives people joy um rather than sapping the life out of them with you know soul destroying work that actually somebody else in the team might actually find quite exciting you know not everybody loves a spreadsheet but some people do love a spreadsheet um, so it's it's just about being authentic. You know, compassion does and, and you know does have a part of that. But if we can get people to be authentic, we will we will you know we, we will see more compassion. I think by default. Yeah, no, I love that perspective, and thank you for the challenge there. And I agree. I think authenticity is just such an important thing. And the point that you made there around if you're authentic, you allow other people that safe space to also yeah. be authentic and yeah. to be themselves. I think one of the things I've seen, though, unfortunately, in my career, not in my current role, a very previous role in my career was my my kindness, I guess, was seen as a weakness because I was always so lovely and nice and he's a fluffy person and I found that quite hard because I always think and there's a quote by um, Jacintha Ardern do you know the Prime Minister yeah, of I New do Zealand know. Yes, I do. Yeah. yeah she talks about you know you can be compassionate and empathetic but you can still be assertive and it's not yeah. a weakness and that's one of the things that always plays on my mind but I definitely agree with what you say yeah and isn't one of the things that we we try and develop in our leaders this, this ability to um to, to flex their style mm. I, I don't think kindness is ever out of fashion i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> you know since when did kindness become out of fashion uh you know if there's a bit more kindness in the world um i don't think uh, we'd have half the problems that that we've got now um you know 
you and I both know the great Eden Charles, who's the most oh, amazing yes. leader. Eden, Eden once said to me that, you know, it's okay saying, you know, that you're you're compassionate and that you're inclusive and, you know, you open all these doors to people. That, that so is not enough. You know, you've got to open the door, open wide, go through, shout that there's, um, you know, that, 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 that there's, you know, a place for you and that you belong and then hope somebody comes in. Because I think so often we think, oh, yeah, I, I'm being open, I'm being inclusive, I'm being compassionate. Yeah, that, that's fine, job done. It so isn't job done. Yeah, no. That's such a lovely example by the amazing Eden Charles. And if you don't know about Eden, I can definitely say he's a wonderful to be around. And they yeah. just give you so many different ways of thinking and perspectives. Yeah, it's absolutely. amazing. Yeah, absolutely amazing. So I guess final question before I let you go, Claire. What advice do you think we can give leaders on how they nurture diversity? How can they nurture? Um, I, I think... I, I'm a white woman. You can't see because this is a podcast. And, and I see, I see, um, and talk to colleagues, and and they say, oh, I am so frightened of saying the wrong thing. So do you know what this, they say? Nothing. You know, I would say, how how can we support and and encourage and nurture? You can't do it by being silent. I have put my foot in it so many times. Every time I've put my foot in it, I've asked people to help me learn. You know, tell me, tell me how to do this better show me how to do this better you know coach me um but this this also goes back to um you know the, the problems of in, in inclusion are, are are mine to own i need to educate myself um i i talk to colleagues about the emotional burden of trying to to get over the perspective of having a voice that's not heard or not not listened to or 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 not included um you know, we need to be curious. We need to own the fact that we are are privileged. Um, I, I have, you know, I have the the, the great pleasure pleasure of, of working with um, people like Tracy Jolliffe, um, and and many of the people in the in the inclusion team within uh, within the NHS, the national inclusion team, and the local inclusion team. Great Kuvi Sinan um, and Paul Singh, and you know, they, they say you need to educate yourself. You know, this is this is um, something that that as a leader is is you know, is part of your job. Um, you know, don't be afraid to speak up, but don't expect somebody to 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 educate you or solve this problem for you so you feel better. You have to go out and, and own this. Um, I would also say talk to people. Just talk to people about what matters to them. You know, not what you think matters to them. What actually matters to them. Um, I would say uh, as a leader, whatever you're doing, just be very tuned into what's happening around you. Look who's speaking up in those meetings. Look who's not speaking up in those meetings. Um, we, we live on Microsoft Teams at the moment. Look who hasn't got the camera on when senior leaders are in the room. Um, you know, and, and just reach out to, to, to people and, and see, you know, just be curious, be, be noticing and be there and be supportive. But it all comes back to the point I made before about being authentic. Mm. We have to be authentic. You cannot trot out the rhetoric and then, you know, when, when it gets a bit hard, not want to go there, not want to have mm. the difficult conversation. You know, you are never too senior to talk to anybody. You are never that important that you can't learn something. Uh, two of the best leaders I've ever, or the most inspirational leaders, have been people who 
very, very senior. One was the chief exec of an organisation. Um, one is a national figure. And both of them had this amazing knack of making everybody feel when they were with them that they were the only person, the most important person in the room. One of them just came up to me one day and said, Claire, your glasses are filthy. I took my glasses off my nose, <laughs> gave them a clean and put them back on my nose. And and every time he saw me after that, it was like, oh, your glasses look clean today. You know, leaders who can make a human connection with other people. And he was a very, very senior leader in the NHS. Uh, never too Im important to, um, to, to connect with people on a human level. And I think that's, you know, the, the most important thing that, that we can do. So we create, what he did was create a sense of belonging everybody has got a place in this organization everybody has a place that is valued everybody belongs to this organization everybody has something unique everybody brings something that our collective effort um, adds up to better patient care and staff experience um, and i think that's what we can do to nurture we need to notice we need to you know we need to, to just be be much more aware of the voices that aren't being heard, the voices that are being heard, and amplify the ones that um, you know, maybe other people are are, are not listening to. Um, you, I, I have learned so much about so many people just by having that curious conversation, or just by you know we ask we ask people how they are. There's a brilliant advert on the BBC at the moment. Um, where there's the, the, the woman in the makeup, uh, makeup trailer and she said, how are you today? And everybody sat in the chair. He's going, yeah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine. And then at the end of it, somebody says, and how are you? And how are you really? And I think it's that, that, you know, we, we ask people how they are and really hope that they just go, yeah, I'm fine, because then we can move on. Um, you know, we, we've got to ask twice, are you okay? Are you really okay? What's happening for you? And only then, you know, can we really start to to support and nurture. You know, we're never going to find out if we don't ask. Um, and, you know, sometimes you're going to tell things you don't want to hear. And you're going to be challenged and it's not going to be comfortable. But you know what? We have to keep learning. And if we don't, the minute we stop learning is, you know, that, that's the time to go home. Oh, such amazingly sound advice there, Claire. I and mean, you can't see me, obviously, but I've been nodding along to everything <laughs> that you're saying. And every time you mention something, I've got a story in my head about a really good leader that I've seen. Or I've, perhaps as an example of a leader who hasn't been that good and that I've learned from to be better. Those human connections are absolutely yeah so fundamental in everything that we do to care yeah. for our staff because ultimately they we, we want them to go care for our patients and there's a superb link there so claire any final words from oh, you oh dear oh um you know i i'm i'm a great one for you know quoting other people i i have massive imposter syndrome um and it, it's one of those things that oh if somebody says oh we've got any final words um, and, and Michael Jordan said, own your leadership every day. Mm. And and I think that's, you know, that that's something that I try and do. I try and own my leadership every day um, in the same way that, the, you know, the, the second year student nurse is the leader to the first year student nurse, the third year to the second year, etc. I have a team. I try very much to own my leadership every day. Um, and, and when we do own our behavior, when we do own our 
commitment to inclusion and and, uh, and, and diversity and and helping you know, equ helping equality being you know being an advert advocate for equal then you know then we are owning our leadership well thank you so much Claire thank you for your time I know you're a super busy lady but I just want to say it's been fantastic talking to you this evening hearing your thoughts perspectives and experiences and I can say that you are an amazing leader and somebody who I always smile when I text <laughs> I smile when I you know whatsapp you or tweet you and I absolutely love talking to you and absolutely love star. talking to you too thank you so much Claire Price Dowd, everybody. Make sure you tune in to more details and more of our guests in the coming weeks. Stay tuned here with the Equality Lens. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Equality Lens. Please remember to hit like, subscribe and leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, stay safe and look after one another. The Equality Lens. Listen. Learn. Be better. Be better. Be better.